0: Church, it is so good to see faces here, man. For three months, you've been, um, yeah, thank God. This this room on Sunday mornings is so sterile without you. There's that camera right there, and there's another one over here or somewhere, and uh, and it gives me no feedback. Nothing in the eyes. Nothing verbal. Uh, I, I pray the Lord's Prayer and just take it by faith. Everybody out there is praying it with me. I know you were. But uh, it's so good to have you here present. And, and I don't forget that uh, most of the Woods Edge family is, you know, in homes and apartments and digitally with us. And so thank you for that. But uh, it's great to see some live faces here. And particularly, if I could say, uh, Israel, Easter particularly. I mean, what a strange Easter to be here, you know, kind of by yourself. Uh, so much better now. And one day, as Jessica said earlier, Lord willing, uh, uh, we can all gather together safely back here on our campus. So that will be, that'll be super. So, um, so a week ago, just to remind you, most of you were probably with us last Sunday in some way. Uh, several hours before the service, about 6.30 a.m., God put on my heart pretty strongly that, Jeff, you needed a, ch- a change, and I had intended when I got here to uh, make a statement, maybe several minutes, about the racial tension in our, ch- our country, but but I just really felt God saying that that will not do. Jeff, you need to uh, change your whole message and go with it, and so normally I've got 10 or 12 hours during the week. I start Monday morning working on the message, but uh, that uh, last Sunday I had an hour and a half, and uh, and it just shows in, your, in, in our weakness God's strength because uh, not only I get uh, more feedback, positive feedback, about last week's message, probably five times, ten times more than ever before. And, and that's a, a tribute to you as a church because uh, your heart is God's heart. And, and we know, as we saw last week in the Scriptures, that the cross of Christ crushes racism yes, of every form. And the commandment of God to love the great commandments uh, the, the the destiny that we've got in heaven uh, the whole mission of Jesus every people of every tribe, tongue people and nation uh, is just going to be uh, just crushes racism and so this is God's heart and this is our heart and and I know it's your heart people and so thank you so much for your response to that last week and um, uh, those of you here, you, you, I felt like the most powerful moment of our service was when I read the, the email by Duncan Bennett. Uh, Duncan, I don't know if you're in the room this day. or Duncan, are you in the room? Yes, sir. No, sir, he's not. Okay, but I see his brother, Delia. Okay, anyway, I read this email by Duncan that I'd received the previous afternoon. He didn't know I was going to be reading it. I, I think I gave him some heads up, but he wasn't sure. And, um, And and that was a moment. And by the way, in the next 24 hours, we put it on Facebook and and 40,000 people saw it in 24 hours. It just, it it hit a chord. And when I first read it, I thought, man, this is kind of like Martin Luther King's letter from Birmingham. And there were several parts of that email that were so powerful and poignant. Um, Last week on um, Monday afternoon, Monday evening, I was on a phone call with 12 pastors from our city, six African-American, six Anglo. And uh, it was a rich time. It was a, a, a time for those of us who are white to listen to those black pastors and uh, for a while, and then we talked and interacted. One of the things that uh, we heard very clearly was this. We need to hear from white pastors at this time. We we need the white church to speak up. And um, we we heard other things. We heard things such as, um, you know, it's not enough just to not be racist yourself. We need you to be anti-racist. And and, um, Ralph West, who's probably the most influential African-American pastor in our city, uh, at one point said this, he said, you know, we, we're, it's great that you're so pro-life for the womb, but we need you to be pro-life to the end of life. And, and that is a, a powerful way of stating it. It was a rich time, and uh, we're actually going to get back on the call tomorrow night. And uh, who knows what God's going to be doing with these six white pastors, six African-American pastors in dialogue. Uh, if I could just go back last Sunday, I'm going to recap a few days. Sunday afternoon, there was a gathering down near the Third Ward. Our Guy Caskey, uh, sitting on the second row over here. Guy, wave, wave your hand, your pretty hair there. So that's Guy probably right behind the guy in the red, who's trade Nine, who's called this gathering, Johnny Gentry, across the way a pastor. And um, they had a gathering Sunday afternoon, and at one point, those White Christians get on one side, black Christian on the other side, and the white Christians uh, had a time of kneeling in prayer before the black. Christians, kneeling in repentance, and when they did that, the black Christians just also knelt, and it was a moment. It was captured on KPR by KPRC News. Maybe some other things went viral. Um, Forty million people, I know, had seen that around the world. Translated in Japanese, and, and you can just see. Uh, God is doing some things in the midst of heartache to, to, to stir the city and, and to, to work in people's lives around the country. Uh, Tuesday night, y'all, you'll probably know about, uh, there's a large protest in Houston, the city of Houston, which was peaceful and it was even prayerful. It was preceded by a, a prayer walk led by Ricky Bradshaw, an African-American pastor, friend of Wood's Edges and uh, uh, 70,000 people no violence, no looting, uh, it, long prayer uh, that's city of God kind of stuff I mean that when there's rioting and looting going around around the nation uh, quite a change. Uh, Wednesday evening um, there was a vigil for George Floyd down in the third Ward hosted by David Hill who's part of our family of churches, Woods edge family of churches' who's preached here several times and um, thought there'd be a handful of us going down there representing Woods Edge and uh, get down there Wednesday night. and uh, uh, there, well, first of all, there were about 20 Woods Edgers who just kind of showed up. And there were about as many white people as black people, folks, a variety of ethnicities down there, united in heart, um, saying, "We are with you, we care. Uh, sweet time, rich time. Um, this past week, and, and that sort of thing has continued, we've had pray tests, they call them, led by Trey Nine, Johnny Gentry uh, in our city all week. Uh, not protest, but pray tests. times of prayer. And God is at work in our city. Now, now let me just set the last week or so in the context of the last three months, because really, for three months uh, from about right now, in early March, uh, our whole country has been in crisis. Of course, it started with a coronavirus crisis, and it also quickly got added into a financial crisis, and I'd say in some ways, even the lockdown crisis, because it's been so bizarre, uh, uh, you know, staying away and staying separate. And so he had all that going on. And then two weeks ago, the racial racial crisis is added to that. And so we're living in a confluence of crises. I can remember the 60s. In 1965, I was 11 years old. And and I have faint memories of the civil rights movements. It really got to high speed about 1965. The next several years, Martin Luther King Jr. was assassinated in 1968, and and I have some memories of that. A few of us are old enough to remember that. But since the 60s, we have not had this kind of a racial tension and hostility in our country uh, of that magnitude. You know, somewhat Rodney Rodney King in 1992, but not like this. Uh, What happened with George Floyd maybe it is a series of events, but also I think that it was such a brutal death that it struck a chord with our nation and really in many ways with our world in a way that I have not seen before in my lifetime since the 60s. And just a little example of that was we we're on the call last Monday night, six African-American pastors, six Anglo pastors And one of the African-American pastors said, you know, the last time we had a racial crisis and we called a gathering of pastors to talk, seven pastors showed up and they were all black. How sad is that? But this time, six white, six black, and we're going to continue the dialogue. In fact, I'm on dialogues the next two nights with African-American leaders and white leaders. It's a different day. It has touched a nerve in ways that other things haven't. And and I think... um, uh, church, well, I don't think. Church, I, I've been so proud of you the way you have responded. And, and that doesn't mean that we all think exactly the same about every little thing, but we know that racial injustice uh, is so contrary to the gospel and to the heart of God. And, and so we stand against that. We, um, I, I love your hearts for that. And we, and we as a people are just we want to be uh, available to God. We want to be led by the Spirit Uh, Last week I mentioned in Duncan Bennett's email that he had seen a sign at at a building that just simply said, white people do something. And Duncan's email to me was so poignant, I'd say so humble, it said, you know, we need the whites to to stand up and speak out with us. And and that is our heart. And we're not sure all that's going to involve, but we're seeking the Lord together. We've got a group uh, in dialogue about some things, we're open, wide open to ideas of all kinds, but we're seeking the Lord about it. So, church, we have a confluence of crises going on. It started three months ago. It is picked up now. Uh, perhaps this is the most dire time in our nation's history and certainly in many of your lifetimes, in some ways in all of our lifetimes. And this is a ripe opportunity for the gospel. Whenever you have this kind of problem and heartache that's disruptive, it is an opportunity to say, God, we need you. God, we are listening to you. God, we are paying attention. And so I am hopeful. I I am actually, you know, been praying for revival for, I don't know, 25 years, 30 years, however long I've been in Houston, I guess, back in Houston. And I feel more encouragement now about the stirrings of God and revival than ever before. And some of the things we've been seeing in the city the last week, I mean, uh, that's some encouragement. We're not there yet, but some encouragement and, and the level of unity with the church on the city. And uh, many of you know that, uh, well, God has given us as a church a heart for the city. I mean, that's our vision, to see Houston become a city of God. Part of my calling is not only to Pastor Wood's Edge, but to give some leadership in the city, along with other pastors and Christian leaders. And, and I'm just realized, okay, Jeff, this is your time to, to step up. And, and, and I just want to be obedient to the Lord and, and our time. Uh, I, I mentioned to David Hill, he, d- he didn't want you know, one, anyone church to overwhelm the, the group there with people, but 20 people from Woods Edge just kind of couldn't help but showing up. And I uh, said to David, David, we got 20 people from Woods Edge here. And he said, well, of course, man, this is Woods Edge South down here. And uh, we're glad to be Woods Edge South with a church in the Third Ward. In fact, let us be Restoration North up here in this area. And this is an opportunity for us to press into. Now, there is a passage in the Bible, a classic passage in the Bible, for a land in crisis. I thought I'd get back one week without the book of Acts, get back to it. But Monday night, I'm lying in bed about 2 a.m., and, and I feel like God puts it on so, my heart so clear, uh, not yet, not yet. And uh, very clearly, Second Chronicles seven fourteen, which is the classic passage about if my people seek my face, who call by my name. And very clearly, Jeff, uh, of course, that's the passage for you this week. And so maybe next week we'll get back to Acts, we'll see. But this week, it is the classic passage in the Bible for a land in crisis, and I realize that this passage was originally addressed to the people of Israel, but who can doubt that the principles in this passage apply to God's people wherever they are, whoever they are? Now I'm going to read this passage in context, beginning in verse 11. And if you'd stand with me now, I'm going to read it. And those of you who are in your homes and and you want to stand, that's great. Um, I've been the only one standing in this room for the last three months when I read the scripture. So. Man, thank you for joining me here the standing. Okay, I'm going to begin with verse 11, read through that paragraph in verse 16. Thus Solomon finished the house of the Lord and the king's house, all that Solomon had planned to do in the house of the Lord and in his own house he successfully accomplished. Then the Lord appeared to Solomon in the night and said to him, I have heard your prayer." And have chosen this place for myself as a house of sacrifice. When I shut up the heavens so that there is no rain, or command the locusts to devour the land, or send pestilence among my people, if my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face, and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. Now my eyes will be open and my ears attentive to the prayer that is made in this place. For now I have chosen and consecrated this house that my name may be there forever. My eyes and my heart will be there for all time. Church, this is God's holy word. Please be seated. Okay, church, can you imagine what it would have been like for Solomon that night? He is in his house, also newly built. That day they finish the monumental, brilliant white, gleaming temple, incredible building. And and with all that happened can you imagine being Solomon in his house that night and you hear the voice of God? I mean, think something like, I mean, if you heard the voice of James Earl Jones, uh, I, I mean, but, but but this is a voice like that, but it's God. Can you imagine? You would go, whoa, you got my full attention. So that's what happened. And the first thing that God says to him, I have heard your prayer. Now, church, have we not seen all through the book of Acts, have we not seen all through the Bible that our God is a prayer hearing God and God responds to the prayers of his people? That's why. Above all other things, we must be a people of prayer because it is the people of prayer who are dependent upon God's power and not our power in our arrogance. You pray much, you're dependent much. Pray little, you are dependent little on God. In fact, you are a proud, self-reliant, self-sufficient person, whatever you say, if you don't pray much. I, Solomon, I have heard your prayer. And if we want God to hear our prayers and cries for our city and our country, it will only be with prayer. I have heard your prayer and I've chosen this place as a house of sacrifice. Now, God at that point pivots and turns to the future and imagines a day when the people of God are not seeking Him. They are ignoring God. They are going their their way. They are living in sin. And if that was true in a thousand, one thousand, well, much of Israel's history, that is certainly true of our country today. A country that has forgotten God, ignored God, rebelled against God in all kinds of, in all kinds of ways. And this is what God says about that time. This time, when I shut up the heavens so that there is no rain, or command the locusts to devour the land, or send pestilence among my people. Or, I could add on, send a virus among the people. Or, if you prefer, allow a virus to be sent among the people. God is saying to you and I, when I in my inscrutable sovereignty send or allow to be sent a virus and a financial collapse and a lockdown crisis and racial turmoil When all of these happen, if my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. Now, church, with all that we're going through as a nation, for some years, but certainly recently, with all we're going through, can anyone doubt that God wants to get the attention of his people? I mean, if if this won't get our attention, what will it take? What will it take to shake us out of our uh, lethargy and apathy and self-centered pursuing our own dreams, our own agendas, our own uh, things in life? What will it take for us to turn our hearts toward the Lord? All through the Bible, God uses crises and disasters to get the attention of His people. And we live in a country (laughs) that's experiencing crises and disasters big time right now. As you guys know, the biggest failure in our country is not the sinfulness of the non-Christian people. I mean, why would we expect non-Christian people to do anything else except rebel against God? They're not Christians. The biggest problem in our country is not the sinfulness of the people out there. The biggest problem in our country is the worldliness of the church. Rather than being a godly people, we are a worldly people. That is, we are like the world. I mean, what measure are we not like the world? When it comes like the brokenness of marriages, divorce, substance abuse, materialism, living for this world rather than the next world, in what way are we different as a people, the problem of the United States is not the sinfulness of the non-Christians. It's not Hollywood. It's not Washington, D.C. It is if the church has not been the church. The people broken by the sin around us and in our own lives. The people who are desperately dependent upon God. The people who are heart sick over racial injustice abortion, suicide, teenage uh, rebellion, and all kinds of things. that It breaks our hearts, and we, we stand boldly in love for the gospel. Now, in light of all that's going on in our country today, this has been uh, more than any other moment in my lifetime, at least since 1960s. This passage is needed in our land, and this is God's word to Wood's Edge and to his church in America. When I shut up the heavens so that there is no rain or command the locusts to devour the land or send pestilence among my people or a coronavirus among my people and all these other things, if my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. Let me unpack five brief phrases or words in that passage. First of all, if my people who are called by my name, I remind you that uh, this is your identity. You are called by the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's who you are. I am not primarily American, Texan, uh, pastor, white, uh, a runner, um, any of those things. I am not even primarily Gail's husband and my kid's father as important as those are to me. Do you know who I am? I am simply a blood-bought slave of Jesus Christ. I am a much-loved child of the living God. That is who I am. And those bonds are deeper than any of the bonds that you and I will ever experience. These are eternal bonds. That is who we are. If my people who are called by my name, and maybe the first step is just to recognize who you are and who I am as disciples of Jesus Christ. That's who we are. And that unites us. That unites us. If my black brothers and sisters this past week have been in pain, I'm in pain. Do you guys know that the black Christians at Wood's Edge, they're in pain, real pain, not just, not just um, upset, not just uh, Uh, Distress, not just fearful, in pain, hurting, hurting inside. What's going to happen to my kids when they're driving? If my people who are called by my name. Secondly, if they humble themselves. Oh, church, how we need to humble ourselves. A broken and contrite spirit I will not despise, says the Lord. If we humble ourselves, we we admit that God is God, and we, we've got this um, absolute sense that I'm no longer living for my agenda and my dreams. I'm living for Jesus and his dreams for me. It's all about him. I'm no longer a pleaser, needing approval of other people, but but because I want to please God, I want to love people. We, we, we lie low, we humble ourselves, we pray. Thirdly, if my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray, there is no great move of God anywhere apart from prayer. All through the book of Acts you see it. All through the Bible you see it. From the Bible days to the, to the present time in history, we know every great work of God, certainly every revival is... Uh, Prayer is at the heart of it because when people, when the God's people humble themselves and call out to God and say, God, we're desperate, we're desperate, um, God hears their prayer. Church, I'm talking about this. All of our lives, we have longed for God to do some things in our families. I mean, some of you need some incredible healing with people in your immediate families. There's cancer, there's back pain, there's all kind of things relational problems, marriage problems, their addiction issues. I mean, all of us have people around us, close to us, that we need God to break through. And it will not come with a few mechanical, lukewarm prayers or are just kind of ritual. But God uses the desperate prayers of His people. And If you've lived in Houston much of your life like I have, you have yet to see a revival. To my knowledge, Houston has never experienced a real revival. Now, other places have. There have been all kinds of revivals down through history, including several revivals, significant revivals in our country, but not in Houston. What will it take for God to get our attention? If my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray, And seek my face. Now this is important. We're we're not just seeking God's hand. It's it's not just a matter of, Lord, what can you give me today? I mean, that's part of it because we're dependent upon God. We do ask for things, but it's much bigger than that. If God never gave us anything, would we seek His face just because He's God, and He's good, and He's great, and He's perfect, and because of the blood-stained cross? We would. We would. Before we seek God's hand, we seek God's face. If my people, God wants us to seek his face because God loves you so desperately and he longs for you to love him back. And people who love him seek his face, not just his hand. Whatever God does for me or doesn't do for me the rest of my life, by His grace, I will be found seeking His face till the day I die. And I hope that is true of every single one of you, because He is worthy of our obedience and love. Seek His face. By the way, I'm not just talking about, you know, on a Sunday morning, seek face. I'm talking about every day you get up and you seek the face of the Lord. You open this Bible. I mean, how could you go a day without hearing these words of the eternal living God? That's what I'm talking about, seeking His face. I'm talking about every day, not on Sunday morning. And we obey it. My iPad is ringing. Wow. Somebody, would y'all please help me after the service to turn off the, know how to turn that on. Appreciate it, but. Okay, if my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face and get this one and turn from my wicked ways. Not enough to pray, not enough to go to church, not enough to give money. We have to obey the Lord. We have to do what God says. If he says to husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church, we do it. If he says to wives, respect your husbands, even if they don't deserve it, you do it. This means uh, that we're not in love with money and things and houses like non-Christians all around us. That we're in love with Jesus. we want to see his name exalted, his kingdom advanced. I mean, that's different. That means that you do what Gail and I did 40 years ago when we got married and we had a rocky courtship. If I, if, if I was counseling us as a couple, I'd advise us not to get married we had a rocky courtship, a very rocky first year, 10 years fairly rocky. But divorce was not an option for us. Now now think about this. If before you get married, you decide it's not an option, that changes the way you deal with problems. And I'm not talking about your past. God's grace pours over. But from this point on, This is the way we do it. If we're going to obey the Lord and turn from our wicked ways. Every area of life. I mean, what in the world? Why is sexual sin so as bad in the church as outside the church? I mean, who are we kidding? If my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, Then God will hear our prayers and he will respond. So right now, church, if if you are a hearer of God's word only and not a doer, then if there's any sin in your life, you just kind of move it over to the side and just kind of act like you're in agreement and walk out the doors later. But if you mean business with God, if you're serious about God, if you want the church to be the church, then if there is any area of rebellion or sin in your life right now, you surrender it to God. Now, you can't change yourself, but God can. You surrender it. Say, oh, God, have mercy on me. Oh, God, would you change me? Anything at all. What happens when we do this? Well, three things. He says, then I will hear from heaven. He's going to hear our prayer. Secondly, I will forgive their sin. So there's grace. There's forgiveness. It's incredible. It's incredible. Thirdly, I will heal their land. Church, this is the promise of God. This is the sure promise of God. This is the holy promise of God. God will hear our prayers. He will forgive our sin. He will heal our land. Now, let me ask you, especially you guys who are older, you men who are older, 40s, 50s, 60s, I'll throw in the 30s, are you content in your lifetime for this land never to get healed because we never sought the Lord like we should have. Now, I know we need the women. But guys, there's some sense of responsibility as leaders of our families to lead out. Is it okay with you if in your watch on this planet, this earth, that you never see a great move of God in your city? Is that okay with you? It ain't okay with me either, De Leon. It ain't okay with me. We gotta seek the Lord in obedience. This is our moment, guys. This is our time. This is our time. We need God to heal our city. We need God to heal our country. We need God to heal our world. Last week, Duncan, in his letter, he included two powerful quotes, one from Edmund Burke, the British political leader. All that is necessary for the triumph of evil is that good people do nothing too long for that. We've seen enough of that. First step is prayer. Second step is listen. Second quote was from Martin Luther King, Jr. We will have to repent in this generation, not merely for the hateful words and actions of the bad people, but for the appalling silence of the good people. Church, that's, that's really been the problem in my generation of the church, the white church. Not, not the white church in America, not mostly not racist but the appalling silence of the good people. That's the problem right there. And we say, I am not just not racist, I am anti-racist. And I'm anti all of these things against God. And then the great quote from that sign, white people, do something. Now, church, let me just reiterate. I love the way you're responding as, as I see and hear stories. I love the way you're responding, Yea, God. This is what we're going to do. This week, we're going to call call a fast for the next seven days, however God leads you. Uh, Maybe that's uh, one day you don't eat anything at all. Maybe uh, it's skipping one meal a day. Maybe it's a fast from television or Facebook or something. You ask God. Uh, Right now, we begin a fast for the next seven days for our country, oh God, however God leads you for that. But it would be a reminder, whatever it is. Let's be seeking the Lord. Let's be praying, and we'll do that through next Saturday night. I, uh, you might, by the way, take seven fourteen on your alarm, either a.m. or p.m., and have one of those just go off every day, just a reminder. Okay, let me pray for the nation. Let me pray for the nation. Uh, we have a team of people at Wood's Edge who are already gathering to talk about racial justice and America and what we could do as a church. If you want to be part of that discussion. Joe Lanzalotti on our staff uh, might be one that kind of could point you to that group. Um, we want to be led by God, whatever that means. Next two nights, I'm on a dialogue with African-American leaders and white leaders. The second of those nights on Tuesday night will be streamed with face, face, Facebook. We'll probably have information on our social media about how to access that if you choose. All right, let me close, close with this, church. This past week, Arnold Gacitas, a businessman in our church, originally from Cuba, uh, sent me this email. By the way, I'm sorry, I've not had time to read everything people have sent me this week and watch, um, but thank you. But I read this one, and uh, I think it's uh, apropos for us. This is what Samuel Rodriguez wrote. He's a national Hispanic leader in our country. He wrote this. Outside the confines of these walls, we hear, we hear the sound of a very broken world. Outside these corridors of worship, we hear the sound of desperation. Throughout America today, we hear the sounds of a nation torn apart by the devil of racial discord. But I hear a sound, a different sound. I hear the sound of Ezekiel 37.7. I hear the sound of the rattling of bones coming together. I hear the sound of the bones of the church coming together. I hear the sound of black, white, brown, and yellow coming together. I hear the sounds of pastors, worshipers, prayer warriors coming together. I hear the sound of one church bringing down the Goliath of hatred with the stone of love. I hear the sound of one church confronting the Herod of bigotry with the sword of the Spirit. I hear the sound of one church telling the pharaohs of the 21st century, let my people go so they may worship. I hear the sound of one church that will remind all of humanity that our hands are made to create. Our mouths are made to speak truth with love. Our hearts are made to forgive and our knees are meant for prayer. I hear the sound of the one church that will not be controlled by the donkey or the elephant but will only worship and bow before the lamb who is the lion of the tribe of Judah. I hear the sound of the church coming together that will not water down the gospel, that will speak truth with love, that will preach the word in and out of season fulfill the Great Commission, make disciples, equip the saints, worship God in spirit and truth, bring good news to the poor, freedom to the captives, healing to the brokenhearted, declare the year of the Lord's favor, a church that will do justice, love mercy, and walk humbly before God. I hear the sound of a father glorifying Christ, exalting, spirit-empowered, mountain-moving, devil-shaking, demon-binding, atmosphere-shifting, world-changing, holy, healed, healthy, happy, hungry, humble, and honoring church. And church, I hear it too. God is stirring something in the hearts of people, and we need to be right in the heart of it because this is God's word to us. If my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, I will. Respond. I will hear their prayer. I will forgive their sin. I will heal their land. Oh God, may it be. Stand with me for prayer. Oh God, help us. Lord, forgive us. Forgive us as a people. Forgive us as a church here at Wood's Edge. Forgive us as a church here in our country, Lord God, for being so worldly and not being the people that you've called us to be. Lord God, we receive your grace. And Lord God, we don't want this moment to pass us by that we just do business as usual, that we give a little lip service and just go on about our business. Oh, God, may it not be. Lord, thank you for the hearts of these people, not only here in this room, but homes throughout this city and beyond. Thank you, Lord. Help us, we pray in Christ's name.